Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little, and this is Season 3, Episode 10, and I'm slowly warming up from last week's freak snow event, something we don't get here too often in Houston. I think the last time it happened was in 2008, and I was not living here, I was living in Florida still, so I just saw everything from afar, but... Yeah, we had a snowstorm at the end of the week, um, whereas in, early in the week it was in the 80s. So <laughs> we have some strange weather going on, which is, you know, it's Houston. We have really warm days and then we get a cold front and we're all wearing our fleece and jackets. And then two days later, we're back in flip flops and shorts. It's kind of how we roll. It's a weird zone. It's why we push our tropicals and then we have to bring everything in all the time. <laughs> so the snow was great. It was beautiful. I think everybody in Houston enjoyed it. Kind of needed another uplifting moment from the stress of earlier this year. And all of Houston uh, really had fun with our few hours of snow play because it was all gone by lunch. <laughs> all melted. And the next day we had, or that next night, we had more freezing temperatures. So all the plants are not happy with that. And we did take precautions, moved in all of our epiphytes and bromeliads, but um, anything that was in the ground that we didn't cover um, definitely got some frost burn. And I'll be dealing with that here in the next week or two. I'm not ready to go deal with all that quite yet. I'm sure you guys understand that. Dealing with garden cleanup after um, a snowy winter or you get a freak freeze. It's just tedious and time-consuming, and I'm still in my slow December movement right now. (laughs) Not quite ready for that. So today I'm going to talk about um, raising monarch caterpillars um, from egg to to harvest. (laughs) We're going to harvest our caterpillars from egg to butterfly, and um, my experience with that this year. And totally a newbie, totally a beginner. But I kind of wanted to offer my perspective, and as always, there's definitely going to be a lot of links and resources in the show notes um, if you are interested in doing this yourself. So there are other caterpillars that people do raise, but monarchs are one of the more popular and well-known ones, and hesitant to say easy, but easier, um, mostly because you can find their plant source, uh, plant food in fairly well amount, fairly good amounts. Um, so the only reason I really attempted it this year was because I ended up getting a, a mesh cage for my birthday back in July and really kind of prompted me to finally do the research and try to figure out how to raise them. And I've watched other people raise monarchs in the last several years and um, it's just really been something I've wanted to try to do. And So really to start, you really need milkweed and you need a lot of milkweed. And I'm going to say that it's probably better for you to find whatever species grows in local abundance to you. So if common milkweed is in your region, uh, like say the Northeast or the um, Central U.S., try to grow that. Or if you're out west and you have a more a different species, try that instead. I um, use, and what is commonly used in the south is the tropical or Mexican milkweed. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And that 
is primarily what we use in our garden because it's easily easy to propagate, grows well, and um, it's just something that flourishes for us. We have grown swamp milkweed and um, Asclepias tuberosa, and which is also just um, I think just called common milkweed. No, I'm sorry, that's not common milkweed. That's Siri Siriaca. Um, I can't think of the, the name for tuberosa, but anyway, we do have those plants in our garden. They do not seem to do nearly as well for us, and they haven't grown in abundance as the tropical milkweed. So. When I talk about getting milkweed, I, I'm i going to tell you, you need a lot of it because if you plan on feeding these caterpillars, you're going to need a lot of food for them <laughs> and they, um, because they do get voracious. So I've had, you know, a plant here and there over the years and I've always gone like, well, why don't I have monarchs or why aren't I attracting them? Well, because I don't have enough plant food for them. So the last couple of years, we've really made a marked uh, attempt to get more milkweed growing. Um, and for us, that it has been the tropical and Mexican milkweed with the others um, as supplements. Other milkweeds in Texas for me that are common are the antelope horns and green milkweed. And you'll see those a lot more common on the roadsides. So... But in, in any kind of bedding or landscaping, you're going to find the tropical milkweed. Um, and that's what you'll come across in nurseries. It is extremely hard. I mean, if you find any kind of other milkweed in a nursery, I mean, grab it because it's very uncommon to find. And so a lot of these, you're going to have to end up starting from seed. And there are seed sources. They can be harder to find. The weirder and rarer different types of milkweeds. You may have to hand collect some of those weirder, rarer ones on lands that allow you to do that. So if you're wanting to grow some some, some sort of specialized uh, milkweed, like I like Asclepias perennis, which is aquatic milkweed, um, you're it's going to be hard to come across that. You may have to find some specialized plant, native plant uh, nursery or a hobby grower or someone on eBay to, to find that stuff. But you can find seeds for common milkweed and other uh, milkweeds online. And I'll put those links up in the show notes. So start with that. Now, I'm also doing this podcast in December because one of the primary times to get those seeds uh, go- going is in December and January is because you're going to want to um, cold stratify them. That seems to have been the best way to get the milkweed growing for me. And um, so that just entails wetting a damp paper towel, dampening a paper towel, and um, then putting the seeds on that and laying it flat in a plastic bag and putting it in your um, fridge for about 30 days. Um, you know, if you go too long, you might end up with some mold in there. So I wouldn't go too long. Definitely make sure you date it. And then after that, uh, you can go ahead and sow those seeds and um, you can put them in a pot. You can put them straight into the ground. I've done both. Um, I think for us, it seems like the straight into the ground seems to work better. But I have, like I said, I have done in the pots. The roots can be a little testy. So 
make sure you get something that's kind of deep as well because uh, you don't want to mess up with those roots when you're trying to transplant that later. So in the winter, best time to get that stuff going. But again, you can start at any time just knowing that you may not have plants that are mature enough in the summer when your monarchs are coming through and breeding. You So that's why you want to have them established in the spring so they can get growing be ready for those monarchs coming through. Um, so as we've had our milkweed ready and growing and it's summertime and I saw the first monarch sometime at the end of July um, actually laying eggs and I was weeding my garden path and I was like, there's a female and she actually is. You can see her where the overpositor is uh, leaving those eggs on the leaves and so I kind of kept an eye on where she was landing um, and then finally decided okay I'm gonna go double check my reading and I'm gonna do this and I made sure to get um, you need some containers if you want to do the eggs I used a old washed out yogurt container and just poked some holes in the lid to start and then I put at the base a damp paper towel to kind of keep the leaves um, that I took with the eggs on them, you know, kind of moist. So they're not going to get dry out and shrivel up because that, that can happen. And I did have that happen a couple times and I was kind of worried, but all was well, finally. <laughs> um, so you're going to bring those leaves with the eggs inside. And I really, you only want to start, I would recommend if you've never done this before, don't get more than like five eggs. Um, just so you're get comfortable with the uh, with doing it the first time around, so you're inspecting and knowing what to do, and and that way you're not just overdoing it yourself or putting you know the caterpillars in any kind of danger. And so yes, grab those eggs, bring them inside, and especially if you so if you see her laying the eggs. You have a good time stamp on about how long you have before they're going to hatch. And that's about five days, eh, four to five days. I've heard three as well. So maybe you've got a really excited caterpillar that's ready to get going and start chomping away. So for about five days, you, you know, just kind of keep checking that lid, looking out, make see if they're hatching. Um, I just kind of made a point to do it every morning. And you can kind of tell when the egg is uh, going to get ready to hatch. It darkens and you can get a feel for that something is going to happen and sure enough they're so tiny they're super tiny you would hardly believe that they're a little monarch caterpillar but there they are they come out that fifth day and then you're going to want to transition them to some new leaves because that that leaf that's five days old is probably really going to start shriveling and they're going to want some fresh leaves and it is kind of hard to keep track of them at that point. That's kind of why I recommend starting off with a smaller number so you have a good idea of how many caterpillars you have because I think I know that I've had this, I'm pretty sure this has happened when I'm trying to clean out their frass after that first day or two and keep the plate clean from where they're at. I may have dumped one or two out, which is you know, definitely not something you want to do. Um, I can't be sure that's what happened, but in the back of my head, I think that's what happened. Um, so I would start small. 
So transfer them. I transferred mine to just an old like Tupperware um, plate that had a little bit of a lip. And by old, I mean this is a Tupperware actual plate from the 80s <laughs> if it was my mother-in-law's. And um, put it in a tent. Now, you go on Amazon or any other kind of supplier, you're going to find butterfly cages um, galore. And there's a bunch of different options. There's round ones. There's square ones. Mine's kind of rectangle-ish. It's got plastic on one side and three sides of mesh with a zipper. And um, I kind of like, I do like the what I have. I feel like it wasn't tall enough. I had to end up turning it on long, lengthwise, longwise, where it's standing up tall instead of a, uh, you know, parallel. Um, so that way later I could put plants in there. But um, when they're in their smaller stage and you're just like maybe picking leaves off your plants to put on this plate for them to eat, you can leave it at lengthways. Now, also, people also put, um, use small like hermit crab cages or small little pet aquariums or terrariums. Those are all um, fine as long as there is air opening and air circulation and a secure lid because eventually these caterpillars are going to get bigger and they're going to want to crawl out. <laughs> so as long as they're contained, there's some room circulation, air circulation, and access for you to get in and out of the cage. Um, and I'll again, I'll post links to different places, different people doing different things. And some people even still just use different kinds of larger rubber maids with holes in them. Um, and they, it makes it work. So it's pretty versatile. You don't need to go spending a ton of money, though you can, um, to do to raising some uh, monarch caterpillars. So the time frame for all of this, if you really want to see this through, you're going to have about a month, maybe five weeks from getting those eggs to the hatching, e-closing of the chrysalis. So in that time frame, think about your weekend plans, any vacations you're going to be having, and realizing that you're taking care of animals during this time period that need to eat, you need to clean out their cage, and if it's if possible, they you know may be e-closing, so you're going to have to let these butterflies out. So if you're gone for a long weekend in the early stages, it might be okay for a night or two you just leave a ton of milkweed or you put a bunch of a couple milkweed plants in these cages, right? But if they're in their late instars, they're voracious eaters. You will think you have a plenty of food and you come back four hours later and they have devoured everything that you left them. <laughs> I do not advise you going away for a long period of time with them unattended without enough food, okay? So either have a neighbor or friend or somebody come by that knows what they're doing to give some more milkweed to the caterpillars. Or if you really don't feel comfortable with it and you have milkweed out in your garden, maybe just release those caterpillars back out to the, the nature and hope for the best, right? So those are some options. So just keep in mind the time frame. It's going to take uh, a little bit of time to get them from egg to butterfly. So the eggs, like I said, four to five days. And then to go through all the instars of the caterpillar stage is about 10 to 14 days. I feel like for mine, I tried to keep pretty good notes of how mine were going. And it was about 10 to 12 days for me. Um, the first batch was pretty fast. Like it was 10 days. All of them were doom, 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 doom. And then the chrysalis stage is the same, about 10 to 14 days. 
And at the chrysalis stage, when they're in their um, chrysalis after they pupated, it's okay. You can just, uh, you know, go away for that long weekend if you need to. Um, but know that, you know, as you're approaching that 10 to 14 day stage, you need to be around to let them out. Um, because after they dry their wings, they're going to be ready and needing to fly and get some food and nectar so they can get on their way on their journey. So during all this time, you need to be being sure to keep the frass uh, clean. And then when they're little, it's going to be like little dusting flecks of frass. They're going to be like, yeah, you could just wipe out easily. Um, when they're bigger, it's big little <laughs> pieces that um, you just, it, and it gets crazy and it'll be everywhere. And you really want to dump that cage out, wipe down the plate, clean plates out. Um, you're going to be needing to add more food and switch out plants all of that's going on. It's pretty crazy in those last few days before they pupate. Um, and definitely between raising um, different egg stages um, or different clutches, I guess I should say, you're going to want to bleach out and wipe out everything so that way you don't spread diseases between the butterflies um, that you're raising. Now, I mentioned... Um, so when they are ready to pupate, they're going to be kind of, they'll stop eating and they're going to go off into their little corners, trying to find a place that they want to pupate where they're going to spin the silk, where they're going to, um, hang and, and pupate. So I had a lot of problems for some reason. They like to hang out by my zippers and, Sometimes they would be just, just right on the edge where I could open it and I had to go really slowly to open. But other times I was, I was like, yeah, y'all, y'all can't do that. You're going to be on the zipper. I'm not going to be able to open it to help your siblings out here. So I would, um, try to encourage them to move. And eventually sometimes they would get the hint. Other times they wouldn't get the hint so greatly. <laughs> uh, they really, really liked the zipper. So keep an eye out for that as well. Also, <clears throat> something else I learned was that you don't want to, if they do pupate on a milkweed plant, on a leaf or a branch, if you have other caterpillars in there, they don't care that there's a chrysalis there. They're going to eat right around that. So I had did have to move my uh, few chrysalids, which was scary at first, um, but turns out to be pretty easy to do. And when I moved the first one, I actually just moved the leaf and kind of taped it up to a, uh, a a little small little twig and kind of set the twig up between some pots in the cage. Um, but later I ended up having to actually really move one off uh, away from the entrance of the zipper and I had to carefully take the silk off and I used um, uh, floss and tied it to the cremaster, which is a little black um, connection from the main part of the chrysalis to the silk where it, it hangs. And then I reattached it and tied it, tied um, the chrysalis to the other twigs or something for it to hang. And once you see other people do this on YouTube, it's really not that difficult. Other people glue it with super glue or hot glue and they hang them from inside their house to 
just just moving them different places. So I'll put links up to that. It's not as difficult as it appears. It is nerve wracking at first, but once you do it, it's not too bad. And I do want to say that you want to wait for if they do pupate somewhere weird that you don't need don't don't want them. Wait till the the chrysalis hardens. It's going to be pretty soft right after they pupate. Um, so give it a day. Um, for that chrysalis to harden in case you drop it. You you just don't want to cause any unneeded damage. Um, A couple other things that I kind of kept uh, note of, you're going to need to weigh down the tent. So I kept it on my porch, um, but if there was any kind of wind gust, um, it would blow off, and that was a problem. I will say I did lose a couple caterpillars to this because it happened while I was, you know, at work and I would come home at lunch and I would see, you know, the tent on the ground and the plate would have like smushed them or something or just the the wind pushed it to the ground. The whole thing was kind of a mess. So learning experience, be sure to weigh down the tent and don't kill your caterpillars. Bad caterpillar mom here so that was something I did learn from myself um and it's trial and error and I try not to beat myself up but that was just something that I learned that was a mistake um you will come across some problems with health if you especially if you take caterpillars from the wild straight instead of raising them from egg you can get um, parasites and other diseases that happen. It definitely happened more frequently, frequently later in the season with other ones I raised, especially, like I said, if you just grab the caterpillars instead of raising them straight from egg. Um, some things you can come across as the big one is OE and OE is a protozoan and it, uh, is kind of one of the reasons they don't really recommend using Mexican or tropical milkweed, but because that plant doesn't really die back, that's why they recommend cutting them back, especially mid-season or late season, so that way the new growth doesn't have the protozoan on it so much. Also rinsing off the leaves, trying to help alleviate some of that protozoan. And it it's kind of one of the bigger problems. Um, you'll see a lot of criticisms of using tropical milkweed, but this has kind of been the workaround because it is, it is highly favored by the monarchs. Um, I tried to feed some of my, uh, green milkweed and I'll tell you about that shortly, but I definitely noticed that they preferred the tropical. They didn't really care for that green so much. The tropical was like, the best for them. They loved it. So just make sure you're trying to cut back your milkweed if you do grow topical milkweed. Um, I haven't read so much about how prevalent OE is on other milkweeds, but I suspect that it's there, but because it dies back in the winter, um, it isn't as much of a problem. Another problem you might run into are tachnid flies, and they lay their eggs in the larvae of uh, the monarchs, monarch caterpillars, um, outside. So you won't actually know that they're infected until all of a sudden um, 
either the caterpillar dies and it hatches the the eggs hatch of the flies or what happened to me was the caterpillar um, pupated and it was in his chrysalis looking fine. And then um, the only reason I realized that these are technic flies was because in all my research and reading, after I saw these weird strings hanging from the monarch, um, I thought about it later and I go, oh yeah, I remember this. <laughs> Looked it up quickly and I was like, sure enough, that was technic flies had parasitized that caterpillar. And I didn't know it until the fly larvae had hatched um, after the monarch had pupated. So sure enough, once I got home and and realized this, I uh, inspected around in the cage and lifted my rocks. And sure enough, there were (laughs) the larvae and they had they were on their own pupation uh, uh, cycle. So dumped those out quickly. (laughs) So I didn't have more of a problem later. Um, so those are, that is something that you could have if you had, um, just gotten the caterpillars from outside and not raised eggs. Something else you can get as well is, uh, something called black death, which, uh, it looks like it's linked to maybe two different, uh, problems. One is a pseudomonas bacteria, which is, you know, naturally occurring in soil. And then, um, the nuclear poly polyhedrosis virus in PV, um, so it's just, you know, the caterpillars turn black, they kind of explode. It's just not a good thing. And, and really, you know, if you do have that, you need to make sure you clean out your cage, clean out anything that, um, may have infected in that cage. So you don't pass it on to the other caterpillars. So definitely cleanliness, definitely raising from eggs is a much better method than raising from caterpillar. But I know it's enticing if you don't have those eggs and you have a bunch of caterpillars outside and you want to kind of help them along, keep them protected from birds or wasps. Wasps will also parasitize and or eat and kill the uh, caterpillars too. So, um, you know, you do your best, but just know that nature takes its course, whether or not you've intervened or not. So those are also something to take uh, into consideration. Now, earlier I mentioned uh, going on a trip, and I'll I'll just share my experience. I had had the eggs, um, my first batch of eggs, I think hatched on a Wednesday, and I knew I was going to be going out of town on the weekend because it was my niece and nephew's birthday party in Fort Worth. And so beforehand, I was like, okay, well, this won't be too bad. I know my mom grows milkweed as well. So... I loaded up before I left, put some milkweed in their cage from my house. And even though I did have plants I could have taken with me, I didn't because I wanted to not have so much to take with me. Um, But I'm driving up and it occurs to me that my dad sprays for mosquitoes in the backyard because they have a pretty bad mosquito problem. And... um, so that was kind of concerning for me and I get, I, I do get there and I ask about that and it had been a couple of weeks and my dad goes fishes, fishing around for the bottle and um, I look on the label and it's definitely not a mosquito only targeted pesticide. It lists a bunch of other animals uh, as well, including other caterpillars. So I knew that it could be iffy um, and you know, my dad, he was just spraying and not thinking necessarily about 
caterpillars. It was mosquito spray to him. So um, that definitely concerned me. So I um, wanted, I knew that there was some green milkweed or antelope horn milkweed in the area. And so I, I was like, well, I'll just try to find some wild milkweed around here. If I have to get desperate, I'll go find a nursery and try to buy some milkweed. Well, one of the fields I knew that there was milkweed at had houses on it. <laughs> so that was great. Um, and that was a recent change in the last year. And um, so it's like, well, this is not good. But luckily, I ended up finding some in an empty lot in East Fort Worth on a way to a restaurant. And so here I am pulling over on the side of the road, running across an empty lot and um, getting milkweed leaves. And it did tide them over. I did definitely notice that they were not as interested in those milkweed leaves as they were in my tropical milkweed. And on the way home that next day, I also knew that there's a ton of milkweed on I-35 and on Texas 6, my roots to and from Fort Worth and because I'd seen it and I've seen it on other trips. And so I just had to make a conscious effort to ditch off and uh, pull over and get some uh, milkweed off the side of the road to tie them over. So yes, think about that. You need to have clean milkweed. So if you're buying milkweed at a box store, there's a really good chance that it's been sprayed at the growers or at um, the nursery itself because they're in the business of selling plants. And if there's no plant to sell because a caterpillar has eaten it, they're not going to be able to sell that right to the, the unsavvy gardener who doesn't really understand, you know, what that milkweed's for, who may not understand what that milkweed is for, I should say. I don't want to put somebody down here that just doesn't know. Um, and even if you go to an organic grower, it might have BT on it, or it may not necessarily be organic, um, even at just a regular local nursery. Um, because again, people are in the business selling plants. So you have to call around and make sure that whatever plants you're buying are untreated. You know, they need to be safe for the monarchs to eat because if you bring home anything that's been treated with a neonicotinoid or BT or anything else, there's a very good chance you're going to end up with dead caterpillars. And you'll see people talk about that on the internet where my caterpillars died. What's wrong? And there they got the base of this new plant. And it's because that plant was uh, treated. So it could even be treated systemically. So just washing it off doesn't mean anything. If it's been drenched, it's been taken up into the roots, into the system. That's a big problem. So keep that in mind, which is all the good reason to grow stuff from seed. <laughs> um, the good thing about milkweed, um, I'm not familiar with other milkweeds. I was going to attempt to take cuttings of some green milkweed that's in our neighborhood, but it had already died back for this year when I thought of this. But I have been taking cuttings of all of my tropical milkweed, especially when I cut it back there. I have all these stems and it's kind of like, I eh, go into waste. So you're taking your stems you know, they're going to end up shedding their leaves anyway, because they're in that shock, that initial shock of being transplanted and trying to grow roots. So they're putting that effort into growing roots. But that is another thing you can think of to do if you have plants is to start cuttings at the end of the season 
And I just been taking cuttings like crazy for next season in case my plants in my flower bed don't all come back or as well so that I can have more plants to switch out um, next season. Because my goal is maybe I can raise a few more caterpillars than I did this year because I'm familiar with it. And um, I definitely probably have to get another tent because it's going to get crazy if I (laughs) put too many caterpillars in that tent. I don't want to spread disease either, right? So um, that's something else to consider is making sure you have the clean milkweed. Now, just because we're growing milkweed for the monarchs, the queen uh, butterfly also uses milkweed, as do the milkweed tussock moths. Um, I have not seen queens on my particular plants, and I haven't really seen any queens in my yard, but um, I did have milkweed tussock moths this year, which was really pretty exciting. I only had a couple that I saw. There could have been more. Um, so don't freak out if you see something different eating your milkweed. Um, just consider that you are growing food for a variety of animals. So that's something to consider. In addition, there are other bugs. You'll see oleander aphids. And I know a lot of people are like, ah, aphids, I need to spray it with something. Just remember, if you spray something on your milkweed, it doesn't just affect that particular bug. You could also be messing up your milkweed for your monarchs. So oleander aphids, they'll easily kind of brush off with water. You can scrape them off if you really are that upset about them. I don't really do anything with them. They just colonize. They get a little crazy sometimes, but the ladybugs will come in eventually. Again, if you really have to, just throw some water, spray them down. No big deal. They're soft-bodied whatever. (laughs) Um, There are other milkweed bugs. There's milkweed beetles. The milkweed bugs I don't really have too much of a problem with. And I hadn't really seen milkweed beetles too bad until this year. And they will chew your plants up. But again, I haven't had an explosion of population of them. I do know that you can um, of the milkweed beetles and they will chow. Their larvae will chow on that. But eh, again, just weigh the options. How bad is it? If you really are having a problem, manually remove them. Don't put any chemicals on your milkweed if you're intending to help the monarchs or any other caterpillar using that milkweed. So just, again, think of it as an ecosystem. You're, you're sustaining life for a variety of organisms that use that plant to live. So it's, I know, sometimes difficult to come through if you've grown up or lived a certain way thinking about particular bugs is bad. Just think of them as all functioning together as a life cycle. You know, even the monarchs are going to be food for birds and birds are awesome. We love our birds, right? And it's just part of the cycle of life in the garden. Um, When it comes time to releasing your monarchs, you also need to consider having enough flowers for them to nectar on. So milkweed's important, but you need to have other plants for them to nectar on, to drink as adults. So if you want to entice them to um, come through your yard, you need to be thinking about planting other flowers as well. And I I mean, I see them drinking nectar on the milkweed as well too, but you know, that's not necessarily what they're looking for. So diversify a little bit in that arena as well. Um, 
I think my biggest lessons for this year are try to stick to eggs, <laughs> get, um, have a little bit less in a cage. I had about 15 or 16 going at one time and I would bring some caterpillars in and, um, then at the end of the season, when I was having a lot of problems with disease because I was bringing them in from outside and not raising them straight from eggs. It was just kind of disheartening there for a while, having them die. And if you do have a chrysalis that dies, you'll know it because it's not going to, you won't see the wings You'll and it just looks off. And I'll put links up online so you can see what a diseased chrysalis looks like. You definitely want to remove it from the cage so it doesn't rot and continue spreading any of that disease um, as well. Make sure you wash your hands afterward before you do anything else in the cage. And um, yeah, so another cage next year, make sure I have more milkweed. Definitely um, stick with more eggs. And, you know, you can always just let nature take its course. If it feels overwhelming, you're getting tired of raising them because you kind of do because it is constant of checking to make sure they have enough food, making sure um, they're doing okay. And it does get a little depressing when they something does happen. Um, just, you know, go let nature do its thing outside. Put them back out, out into the elements and let them eat the wild the milkweed in your garden and, um, and hope for the best that way. I do want to try a couple other caterpillars next year. Um, I have Gulf fritillaries with my, um, passion vine. I have not been able to raise, um, or attract any pipe vine swallowtails, but we do have a pipe vine. So we actually have a couple pipe vines. So that would be cool if we could eventually get those, and I'm kind of interested in growing and raising some of the um, cabbage whites and other caterpillars that eat brassicas um, because I've seen other people do that too. And I think that would be cool as well because I'm also interested in trying to alleviate some of the hate for animals in our edible garden, caterpillars doing the same thing, um, trying to show that you know, they, they're there for a reason too. They're also pollinators. So we don't, we don't form a bias, I guess I should say. All caterpillars are created equal. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Just something I am thinking about heavily and trying to uh, just digest a little bit more. So that's kind of where I am at with the monarchs. There's a ton of resources on the website. If you have any questions about what I did, anything that you would like more clarification on, if you heard something in here that I misspoke, please tell me. Um, in addition, I have some photos from how I uh, my how I raised them and what happened through that cycle on the show notes for the podcast episode as well. So you can see a little bit of my cage and um, what, what the eggs look like. So if you're out there looking for eggs, you know what uh, about what size and color and, and where they're going to be located. If you hear my cat, he's being very curious right now. <laughs> um, as always, you can find me at thegardenpathpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast. And you can drop me an email at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. 
Don't forget to rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm on Google Play, and I submitted my request for being on Spotify, but I suspect I'm not cool enough for Spotify, but I'm trying. So, um, all right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and learned a little bit of something, and uh, I will talk to you guys next week.